All glory to him. Nehemiah chapter 9 is where we're going to be in just a moment uh, here. Continuing our series on when revival comes. And uh, that's where we are right in the middle of Nehemiah 8 and 9 when revival comes to the, the Jews there in Nehemiah's day. And God does not always mimic or duplicate exactly what He does, but He is the same God, and we have the same needs that these people had. And God can do for us and do in us exactly what He did back then. And uh, that's what we are praying for, that's what we are looking for, and we're seeing mercy drops of that all around us in people's lives and in our church and in churches around us, uh, but we want more. <laughs> We want all that God has for us, and, uh, and we will get more when we give more. That's basically what we're seeing in the, in the book of Nehemiah. Now, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 9 in just a moment, but uh, as way of introduction, I want to go back into chapter 8 and pick up in verse 13 and, uh, and just read through this passage because it's very important. Uh, it builds on what we've looked at in the early part of chapter 8. If you remember, after the walls were built... And they were able to really focus in because they were safe and secure with that and with God protecting them that they just, what, what did they do? They didn't just sit back in their luxury and, and uh, sip uh, sweet tea and, uh, or lemonade or something like that. They dove into the Word of God. They called Ezra and said, that book that you found, bring it out here. We want to hear what God has to say. And, uh, and they began reading it hour upon hour upon hour. And, uh, and God was working in their hearts as they were reading the Word of God. And then it says in verse 13, Now on the second day, uh, this is chapter 8, verse 13, The second day the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. So they were reading it and they're saying, Okay, help us understand what this is saying. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Now, let me just stop right there. Where they're reading at apparently is in Leviticus 23. Uh, that's where they talked about the, uh, the different feasts that they would have. And they were reading about a feast, a harvest feast that they would have in the seventh month. And if you go back to chapter 8, verse 1, you'll see that that's the month that they're in. They're in the seventh month. And so as they're reading along and they read the Word of God that He says, and in the seventh month, you should be doing this. They go, wait a minute. It's the seventh month. <laughs> so maybe we ought to be doing what the Word of God says. And so they, they pick, up their, pick it up there in verse 15. It says, And that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booze as it is written. Because that's what the, the feast in the seventh month was, this feast of booze or tabernacle. And what they would do uh, for that week, they would build together these lean-tos with these uh, the branches and stuff there. It was a time when they would celebrate uh, the harvest. But as they did, that reason they built the booze and stuff there is that they were looking back at where they had come from, that God had delivered them from Egypt way back when, and that they had dwelt in the wilderness 
this intense. And so they're reminding themselves of what God had done and how God had blessed them and how God had delivered them, but also looking forward to the promise. That's what, when they were in the wilderness, they were looking forward to the promise of the, of the land flowing with milk and honey, of the promised land, and how God said he would bless them. And here they are, back in the promised land. Now, after years of captivity in Babylon, they've come back. And so it is time to celebrate what God has done and the promises that he has in the future for them. And so during the time of harvest, they would do this. And so that's what they're doing. And verse 16 says, Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booze, each one on the roof of his house or in their courtyards or the courts of the house of God and in the open square of the water gate and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So they did exactly what the word of God said. That's what revival is, is when God's people get back to doing exactly what the Word of God says. Verse 17, so the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booze and sat under the booze. Now notice this, it says, for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day the children of Israel had not done so. God had told them to do this every year. And going all the way back to Joshua, until this day, they did not do it once. That's a long time. If you remember Joshua, that was before David was king. That was before Saul, the first king. That was during the time of the judges came after Joshua. So all the way back to Gideon and Samson and all that and throughout all the kings and the divided kingdom and, and going. They hadn't done this one time. And so now they're finally doing what the word of God said. They're, they're showing their appreciation to God. They're showing their gratitude to God. They're worshiping him for the deliverance that he has brought to them and looking forward to the promises that God has for them. But then notice it says um, uh, that and there was very great gladness as they're celebrating this. But then notice verse 18 where it says, Also day by day from the first day until the last day, that's the whole week that they're supposed to be doing this, he read from the book of the law of God every day. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. Because that's what Leviticus 23 said. Said, when you finish this feast, you need to have this sacred assembly, this solemn assembly, this holy convocation is what it's called back in Leviticus chapter 23. And so as they're reading through the Word of God, they're not only doing this celebration, but they said, we need to do that as well. We need to come together for this sacred assembly, this holy convocation, if you will. But there's something different going on here. Something very different. You see, as they're reading the Word of God, they're not only reading the things to do, but in Leviticus 23 and verse 43, he said the reason you're supposed to do this, the reason you're supposed to do this at harvest time, the reason I want you to do this every year is because I want you to remember that I am the Lord your God. And the people had forgotten that. They didn't do that. 
Since that's part of the reason why they had their struggles. They, had, they were thinking about themselves. They were thinking about what was convenient for them. They were going after the idols that their flesh desired. They were engaging in activity that, that satisfied their flesh. They, they came to God and said, we don't want you as our king. We want you to give us a human king. And, and all these different things that they were, were, were doing. And, and they had forgotten all that. So here in this moment, as they're saying, we're not only going to go through the, the motions of putting up these booths. We want to meet with God. We want to know that God is our God. And we want to encounter Him. And it's interesting here as, as I was studying this, and that's what we're going to get into chapter 9 is actually what took place during this time. That when it says there, it says there was a sacred assembly. It's a different word than is used back in Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23 calls it a holy convocation because it's a, it's a different Hebrew word that is, that is used here. And as I looked at this word that is used here, it was, it was confusing. And I, I, I began praying through this and saying, God, what, do you, what, is, what is going on here? Because the actual word that is used here means to restrain or to, to, to bind or hold back, to restrain something. And I thought... What it, matter of fact, it just in, in, in a lot of the, the Bible dictionaries and, and the, the word studies, when it looks at this Hebrew word, it says it means to restrain and stuff like that. And then it just has, sometimes it's translated sacred assembly. And I thought, what does that have to do with restraining? But as we'll see in just a moment in chapter 9, this is what they are doing. This is an assembly of the people that have been holding things back from God. That's what's going on here. As they come before the Lord at the end of this feast, at the end of this celebration, and they recognize what God is calling them to do, they say, wait a minute, things have got to change. We have come back to this land. God has blessed us, and we have been holding back from God. It is time to stop restraining. It is time to, to they, I mean, they hadn't done this since the days of Joshua. And so what they're saying is, listen, there's no more holding back now. We're giving it all to God. We're giving everything to God. And so this is the assembly of those that have been holding things back. That's what Israel had been doing all these years. They had been holding back their obedience. They had been holding back their worship. They had been holding back and holding on to things that were, were not satisfying them, that were, were leading them astray, that were leading them away from God and destroying their lives. And they say, we're not holding back anymore. And as we look at what they're doing, by the way, we do the same thing. Preachers do the same thing. All of us, we, we're, it's, it's something about us that, that we, we're constantly, we're tempted. To, there's this old flesh that, that wants to, that doesn't want to completely let go, that, that wants to hold back from God. Let me tell you this, revival is when the people of God cast off all restraints and there's no more holding back. What are you holding back on? There, there are so many times when God moves and God works and God prompts us to do something and we hold back. 
Revival's when we quit holding back and we cast off all our restraints. Let me tell you something. It is time to let loose. There's never been a more urgent time than today to let loose. And let God move and work in our lives. And whatever he tells us to do, it is time to start doing it. See, we've already been set free. We're not in bondage to the things that restrain us. We just choose the things that restrain us. It is time to make a different choice. It is time to, to let loose, to cast off all right. The Christian life, this, this is... We, I don't know what exactly we think the Christian life is, but this is what, when you look at the people in the Bible, a life with God, even going back to the Old Testament, and especially in the New Testament, this life with God, this is what it is. We have an encounter with God. God comes to us. God meets us. God saves us. God redeems us. And then we walk with Him unrestrained. That's, that's the Christian life. That's what, that's what Abraham did. He met with God. God came to him and met with him. Now, he didn't do it perfectly, but he lived a life of just walking with God. That's what Moses did. He encountered God, and then he lived after he encountered God. His life was changed forever, and he walked with God. That's what David did. We don't know all about that first encounter, but somewhere the Lord became his shepherd, the shepherd of his life, and he put it within him a heart that sought after God, a heart that desired God, and for the rest of his life, no, not perfectly, but even when he did sin, and the sin was exposed there, he wanted to get right with God because he wanted to live a life of walking with God. That's what Peter did. He encountered Jesus. Jesus said, come and follow me. Now, Peter had a lot to work through, but then he worked through all of that. The Holy Spirit filled his life, and he walked with Jesus till the day that he died. That's what happened to Paul on the Damascus Road. He encountered God, and God changed his life, and from that day forward, he walked with God. That's what we're called to do. Tom Eliff said this, he said, If a man ever came to the place in his life where all he wants is all God wants, then all his life he will have all he wants and God will have all he wants. Did you catch that? Let me say it again. If a man ever came to the place in his life where all he wants is all God wants, then he will have all he wants and God will have all he wants. That's what we need. That's revival. So what did these people do? Well, they quit holding back. And this is what revival, and as I share these things with you, I, hope, I want you to understand, this is just that life of walking with God. These are not steps to revival. This is what a life of walking with God looks like without restraints. First of all, there must be no holding back and dying to self. Look in verse 1. He says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. What is going on here? They're doing all this as they're, as they're turning to God. They're casting off all restraints and they're turning from everything that has restrained their life. And what is it that has restrained their life? What is it that restrains us? It's us. 
It's me. And so they're turning away from all that. They go through this time of fasting. Fasting means that we're doing without. And and they're doing without these things because they're turning their back on all the things that the the world has to to offer there. They've lost those things. And so they're they're fasting. They're putting on the sackcloth, which is the funeral garb there. It was a dark, coarse uh, garment that they would would wear when they were grieving. They're grieving not, not because of... Uh, uh, that they don't want to do these things, but they're, it's symbolizing the loss that is there, the dust that they are putting upon their heads there. This is the dirt of the earth, how we are born from dirt and we return to dirt and we are actually nothing but dirt other than the fact that God has loved us and God has redeemed us and God has breathed His life in us. And so I recognize I'm nothing but dust, but God is everything. And so I turn from myself No holding back and dying to myself. Understand this, that the reason Jesus had to die is because of who we are and what we do. And so we must die to ourselves. In Leviticus 23 and verse 27, it says there about that holy convocation that it was a time to afflict your soul that word afflict means to submit to surrender to put in bondage your soul to bind it up not to sin but to god and to turn from everything that has been that i have been doing to turn from that old me see this is what what we must do we must die to everything that is of the old me They were dying to old Israel. They were dying to the rebellion of their fathers. They were dying to the idol worship of their fathers. They were dying to the life of compromise that they they had been living even in Babylon and returning back. They were dying to all of that. And we need to die to the old me. Die to everything that's of the old me. So no holding back and dying to self. Die to everything that is not of God. Number two, no holding back and separating from the world. It says in verse two, it says, Then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all the foreigners. You see, they, when they came back, there were these the, the people, they were people living in Jerusalem, and there were people living in the surrounding areas in, in, in Israel that, that, were, that were not Israelites, that were not Jews. They were idol worshipers, and they had kind of moved in and taken over it. And some of them that had moved back, it deals with it later on in Nehemiah, some of them that had moved back and, uh, were, they had intermarried with these idol worshipers, and they, they were going after their idols as well, going back to the, what had gotten them into captivity to begin with. And so they're saying, no, no, no. God does not want us to do that. We're going to give everything to God. And so we're separating ourselves from everything that pulls us away from God. Everything that uh, we're severing, all contact. That's what it means to separate uh, from them, from all those that worshiped idols and all those that, that, that would pull us away from God. We're not holding back. We're moving away from that. See, that's what we want. We want the, the good things of God, but we still want to hold on to the things of this world. It is It's time that we cast off all restraints and we let go of everything that is of the world and give ourselves totally to God. we got to get to the point that we want Him. I want Him and nothing else. 
He is enough. He is more than enough. You see, the problem is, is we love what the world promises. The world promises a life of, of ease. If you'll do this, your life will be easier. If you'll just do these things, then you can have all the glamour and the luxury and all the, go on all these trips and have all these nice things and nice houses and, and people will look at you and say, well, they've got it made and have the prestige and all these. Let me tell you, all those things the world promises are empty. Empty. And everything Jesus promises is real. But we can't hold back. There must be no holding back and separating from the world. And then there must be no holding back and confessing sin. Notice what they did in verse 2. Not only did they take the action of separating themselves from all foreigners, it says, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. What if we scheduled a worship service this afternoon to come back and we're going to have everybody confess their sins publicly and the iniquities of your fathers. I wonder how many we'd have. Listen, we got to get to the point there's no holding back. No holding back. We can't embrace the, the covering, the covering up of our sin, the hiding places of our sin. We must Bring them out into open. And that's what separating and no holding back and confessing sin means. That word confession means no restraint. There, there's no restraining. We're bringing everything before the Lord. Do you understand what they're saying? I, I love the fact that, you know, in worship, there are times and, and earlier in the service, we stood up and, and, and worshiped. But these are not, they're not standing up and worshiping. They're standing up in confession, which is a form of worship, by the way. Uh, but they're standing up in confession. They're, as they're reading the Word of God, they're standing up and going, that's me. I've committed that sin. I need the forgiveness of God. They're not ashamed. They don't care what anybody else thinks. They just want their hearts right with God. And then we, we need to get to that place where there's no holding back. We've, we admit that we are guilty. You know the story in the, in, in the book of Joshua about Achan. The, the only time the children of Israel in the book of Joshua they got beat up on was at Ai. And the reason they got beat up on, on Ai, if you remember the story, is because Achan took of the accursed thing from Jericho and he hid it in his tent. And when we talk about that, about how we can't hide things, the thing that stands out to me the most about Achan is you know how Achan was discovered? You remember that? They cast lots. Achan is standing there as they're casting lots, knowing that he's the one that did it. It's his problem. But he doesn't say a thing. As a matter of fact, it gets down to where it comes down to his tribe and his very family, and he doesn't do a thing until it lands on him. Matter of fact, I bet that last time they, they cast the lots, he's saying, I hope it lands on my wife. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the thing. He didn't mean it at all. He didn't admit it at all. How much are we like Achan? We hold back. Okay, God, I'm, I'm going to church today. Just don't deal with this. Don't deal with that. Or if you're going to deal with this and that, maybe I won't go to church today. Revival is when we cast off all restraints. 
We say, God, I don't care what it takes to get right with you. I don't care what shame, what embarrassment it brings. I want to be right with you. I want to walk with you. I want to, I want to experience your forgiveness and your freedom in my life. I want to bring honor and glory to you. I don't care. And as they're going through these things, there's people are standing up and confessing their sin before the whole congregation there. See, we need to get to this point where I agree with everything he says. Everything God says about my life, my choices, my heart, my plans. That's what confession is, is saying, I agree, I'm guilty. I agree, I'm guilty. You see, you know why bondage likes the dark? Bondage likes the dark because in the darkness you can't see that your chains are already broken. We've talked about this before. The cha- Jesus has already died for every one of your sins. You have committed and will commit. You have already been set free. You are not in bondage. But you can't see that when you're in the dark. You can't see that the chains that you're holding there have already been broken. You're just holding them. You're not bound by them. You're holding them. You're grasping them. Revival is when there's no holding back and confessing sin. The word confess literally means to shoot the arrow. To shoot the arrow. And when we shoot the arrow, when we confess before God and do whatever He tells us to do, when you're talking about agreement with God, you're talking about not only agreeing that it's sin and agreeing that you need to confess it to Him, but agreeing you need to do whatever He wants you to do to get rid of the sin in your life. When you shoot that type of arrow, it hits the target, the target of freedom, the target of victory, the target of joy, the target of unbroken fellowship with God. You hit the target when you confess. The problem is, is we're not shooting any arrows. No holding back and confessing of sin. He goes on. They continue and Verse 3, there's no holding back and obeying the word. It says, and they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. Now, if my math is right, that's six hours. Six hours reading from the book of the law. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. They obeyed. They wanted the word because they wanted to obey the word, to do what it says. And so no holding back and obeying the word means I surrender to the instruction and correction of his word even before I hear it. They had already made up their mind. They were going to do. They were already doing what the word of God said. Every time they read something, they were going to do it. They were going to do it. And they did what God told them to do. They 
put their yes on the altar before God even spoke words of instruction and correction. They were already going to say yes. So there was no holding back in obeying the word. There was no holding back in worshiping the Lord. It says and for another fourth, another six hours, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. And then again in verse 5, it says, talks about the Levites, Yeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabani, Sherebiah, Hodijah, Shebaniah, and Pethaliah said, stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And so now they're not standing up in confession. They're standing up in worship of Him. They're worshiping the Lord. And so there was no restraints in their worship of the Lord. They were giving Him confession. That was a part of their worship. They were confessing to the Lord. They were repenting of, uh, to the Lord. By the way, there's, there's a song. We sang it at our, our women's encounter that says, repentance is my truest praise that I'm not really praising God if I don't have a repentant heart before God and that's true that is so true we confess and we worship him and we give him the word worship means we bow before him we get on our knees before him the word bless uh, there in verse 5 where he says stand up and bless the Lord your God again it has the root of kneeling before God kneeling before the Lord giving everything to the Lord no holding back and worshiping the Lord I I give him true, unrestricted, highest praise. Not only that, but then finally there's no holding back and calling to the Lord. I'm talking about intercession before the Lord. In verse uh, 4, he says there, Then Jeshua, Benai, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Benai, uh, Sherebiah, Benai, and Chenanai stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. That word cry out is a cry of desperation. It is a call for help. They're taking everything to the Lord. And that's what we need to do in prayer, taking everything to the Lord. We hold back in our praying because we're trying to, to, to save face in case God doesn't work out the way that we're asking him to, in case he doesn't answer the way we want him to. We try to protect God's reputation. And really what we're doing is trying to make it look like we're right. So we hold back in our praying and we restrict our time in praying because we got other things that we need to do, other things we need to get to. Listen, they didn't hold anything back in prayer. They brought it all before the Lord. This is who we are. This is what we need. We bring it before you. God, do whatever you want to do. And they experienced revival. We've got two groups of people here. We got some here today that need to encounter Jesus. You may have encountered religion. You may have encountered other things, but you need to encounter Jesus. And you need to come to Jesus with no restraints, no reservations. Just come and give him everything, and he will save you. He will change you forever and then there's those of us here today that have encountered Jesus then why are we holding back revival comes when God's people stop holding back
This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that He will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.